Is the veterinary profession responding to tragedies such as suicide and harassment adequately? This week, we're going to have a very important conversation on how our profession should be dealing when tragedy strikes and what we can do to be proactive to prevent tragedy in the future. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And for over five years, we have not shied away from some of the toughest topics that we need to talk about in the veterinary profession. And this week is no different. We are going to talk about a recent loss of one of our colleagues and some of the surrounding social media fallout. But more importantly, we want to talk about are we responding as a profession adequately to help protect the members of our profession? But before we get into that very important conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, before we get started with today's kind of heavy conversation, we got a celebration. We just passed five years nonstop weekly podcasting. Whoa! (laughs) Well, wait, wait. Even before that... I believe we had a birthday on the podcast. Yeah, we don't count birthdays, but we do count anniversaries. Happy belated birthday, <laughs> Dr. Ernie. Well, I think I you. was out of town and didn't get to appropriately celebrate. So um, from me and all of your Vet Viewfinder family, happy birthday. Well, thank you. You know, I'm double nickels. But what's interesting, I guess, Becky, is that not only am I double nickels or 55 years of age, but the podcast is five years. So it's our lucky that? number. It's our lucky number <laughs> yeah, this year. Right. It's going to be five. I can't believe it's been five years. And I have to say, uh, it's very kind of you to say we have not missed a week. I, however, have taken a few hurricane rests, um, a few deployment weeks off. And you, however, have pushed through every single week throughout the five years. So <laughs> I may have missed a handful, but you have really pushed us through. And um, I know we've got listeners that have been with us really like since the beginning. So happy anniversary to you guys. Yeah. And and again, you know, viewfinders, we're just so grateful to have you as an audience because we see your posts. We see the conversations that are happening. Heck, we see the topics that are being, you know, promoted at conferences. And we know that it's through conversations like we're having with you today that that change is happening. And so, Becky, today, you know, this is going to be a a really serious conversation. Once again, I mean, they're all kind of serious, but um, tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about because, you know, there's maybe not everybody's heard everything and we want to be cautious and, and very sensitive to, to everybody involved, but there are some big, big themes that we need to address. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, we would like to walk away from this podcast, not sued. Um, and, you know, but truthfully, shedding light, uh, we, we always for five years have said we're tackling the toughest topics. And one of the most recent tough topics we haven't yet tackled um, was the passing of Vanessa Gutierrez. And it was a huge um, conversation, let's yeah. just say, on the Internet. Um, I think some things maybe got put out there very quickly um that maybe should or shouldn't have but there was there was a big problem with Vanessa in her workplace and it boiled down to basically being a a large factor for her in her last moments um of feeling in despair and we want to honor Vanessa Gutierrez we want to honor her life her profession her passion um but at the same time we want to respect all the entities involved 
But we really want to have this conversation, I think, around the seriousness of accusations that come up in the veterinary practice, how they're being handled, and what we can do proactively because in you and I talking about this this conversation and how we could approach it in an effective way, what got brought to light was, in my opinion, a lot of the people in practice executing human resource functions are technicians who used to be on the floor or, right, you know, right. someone who has a management degree. But do we have enough experience and education in our HR functions within our clinics, corporate or not, to be protecting ourselves and protecting our employees? And I think that's kind of how we wanted to approach the, the conversation today. Yeah. And, and again, viewfinders, we're, you know, obviously when we're talking about a case that involves suicide and but there's self-harm, there's sexual harassment, there's bullying. I mean, there's a lot of other areas that we need to to discuss. And, and I know we do this, right, Becky? I mean, for five yeah. years, we, we have talked about all these types of elements. But I think what we're trying to say now is, OK, what responsibility do we have as practice owners, managers, leaders to help prevent this? And how are we addressing it? And I think, you know, Becky, back in my time, for sure, if you go back 30 years or so ago, um, we didn't have access to the resources. So it was very easy for an independent practice to say, hey, that would be great if we had an HR department or a sociologist or a psychologist or a counselor, but yeah. there's we can't afford it and we don't even know how to get to it. But today, those barriers are pretty much eroded, in my opinion. I mean, you can do online counseling and, and, and right there's a start, viewfinders, is like, what is your independent practice doing to provide you with those types of resources, if at all? And if not, why not? Why aren't you at least saying, hey, if you guys need somebody to talk to, we have worked, we're worked out a deal or something with an online counselor or whatever, right? I mean, why isn't that happening more? That's where I want to start. Sure. And on top of why not is, to me, what are the requirements? What are the legal obligations? And then, you know, what are the... What does the ownership look like? Um, how obligated are we? At what point do we have to provide certain services for our employees, respond to certain statements, reactions? Are we still kind of working in this sort of quote unquote under the table, family owned business, um, handle it yourselves kind of mentality right. that ultimately can be super damning? Yeah. And for me, I think an interesting factor is when we look at these corporate entities so frequently. Um, when I, the veterinarians I know that I've sold to corporate entities are one of the really important thing to everyone is like, well, we want to keep things the way they are. We don't want to lose our, our, our feeling of a family owned clinic. Um, but is that quote unquote feeling of a family owned clinic, like a highly volatile situation, just sort of waiting to explode. And as people become more and more self-advocating, what are the liabilities? Like one, I want to know, can we do it because we want to do it? But two, can we explore what we are required to do and have to do for our employees? And do we need to start taking a different mindset when it comes to, oh, you know, you said this in passing, but we have to treat this very seriously and approach it like a corporation would, even if we are a five-person practice. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, so right there, Viewfinders, this is, I mean, Becky has laid out a real challenge for the profession. And she's saying, okay, look, we kind of want it to stay the same. But is the same actually healthy for us? Is it getting us where we want to get to? And I'm going to be the first to say when it comes to mental health and harassment and all these personal issues, no. I mean, we've done a lousy job, which has got us where we are today having this conversation. So the first thing, you know, viewfinders, that I, I agree with, with Becky, there may be some legal responsibilities and requirements and all that. And honestly, the more lawsuits that come forward, 
you know, whether it's sexual harassment or harm or whatever, yes, we're going to have regulations and rules. But I'm kind of, Becky, still back in the day saying, okay, it's my responsibility as an owner. If I, this goes back to like the health insurance debate that I was having with colleagues 25 years ago. It's like, no, if I hire somebody and employ them, it's my responsibility. I feel I have a moral obligation to provide health insurance. And I think we've kind of now entered an era when the same goes for mental health. Oh, exactly. I mean, 100%. And I think that it's behind in terms of protective laws, but I don't think we're far from it to where we have to protect mental health and our employees the way that we are, you know, seeking to to protect their physical health, um, you know, with things like OSHA. Like, how far are we from government agencies that are then protecting mental health? But Becky, you said something earlier that I think bears repeating, and that was like this kind of old school, just shove it under the rug, mm-hmm. deal with it on your own, right? And and if you do that, this is where I think you open yourself up to risk, legal liability. Because let's say that someone comes to your office manager and says, I'm feeling harassed, or someone made a sexually inappropriate comment, or someone threatened me, or I feel intimidated, right? I mean, whatever that thing may be. And then you guys just sort of go back, well, hey, you know, not much I can do to help you. You know, yeah. she's a great employee. She's been with us a lot longer than you. And I've never heard this complaint before. Like that's where it gets really muddy. And so if, if you're if you're listening today and you're having these conversations and somebody is saying, I have a complaint and management or ownership is going, never heard that one before and ignores you. That's where I think the real exposure begins. Oh, well, 100%. And are you even equipped to deal with it? So I think about situations where I've been a manager. If somebody came to me, the veterinarian who I would have to talk to or discipline is also the practice owner, is also my boss. So how uncomfortable is it for me to go to my boss and say somebody feels like you said or did something inappropriate? That's a confrontational, quote unquote, courageous conversation. Right. Um, What I hear regularly is these bullying or aggressive or harassing staff members don't want to hear feedback. They're not open to it. They're narcissistic and going to make excuses. And this is just going to open a huge ball of wax that I don't really need. And so what I tend to hear is happening is the management individual then coaches the quote unquote victim on how to deal with it in their space. We'll just try not to be alone with them, or I'll just make sure you're not assigned on rooms with them alone. Um, They start to finagle the schedule in a way to um, accommodate this behavior instead of uh, actively uh, dealing with it. But do they have the tools? Do they have the backup? You know, in a big corporation, you know, there's whistleblower protection. And if I if I go to HR with something, you're not allowed to retaliate at me or right. I can, you can lose your job. In a 10-person practice, what are the chances that's what's actually going to happen? And I think we get into this comfort space, right, of, well, everyone's family. No one would sue us. No one would do this. No one would do that. And it's absolutely untrue. Um, we are becoming more and more a lookout for number one society and understanding that the, the – and I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way, you know, but that that self-advocating is no one else is going to do it for you. Uh, And that, you know, cemeteries are full of replaceable people, right? So we're going to advocate for ourselves more and more. Are you equipped to deal with it when your employee says you're not dealing with this the way that you should be? And I'm going higher level. Right. And I think this is one of the frustrations 
of working in an independently owned clinic today. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and because I, like Becky said, you've got an HR department, they legally have to respond. I mean, there's all these other layers built in. Whereas in that little small, you know, 10 person business, I th- I'm with Becky. I mean, people are going to make accommodations, which actually just encourages that person to probably do the same behavior to some, someone different. I mean, yeah, but this is transfers across. So again, you know, if you find us where, where I want to go with this is, okay, somehow we have got to do a better job of equipping, as Becky said, these managers and owners with resources and tools, right? So the first step would be if you have this conversation and you like in Becky's scenario, which is a very real and common one where it's like, well, the person they're complaining about is the boss, my boss, the owner. Well, there needs to be another layer inserted. And this could be some kind of offsite therapist or counselor or maybe even legal counsel. I don't know. There needs to be something inserted to say that if Becky as a manager feels uncomfortable going to the owner with the complaint, that here's what you do. But Becky, even that is one of those courageous conversations. Somebody's got to be willing to step up and go, I think we ought to, you know, get so-and-so counseling on the, on the line or whatever. Well, and and I think that's why it's a good idea to think about outsourcing and having outside resources, regardless of the size of your organization. I mean, if you are a small organization or you're owned by a large entity, your staff should have 100% access to human resources. They should know the numbers of the people that they need to reach out to. They should be protected in those ways. Um, but now there are so many outside resources, things like I don't, like ADP, for example, mm-hmm. I know, right. um, that are human resource-based organizations that can be hired to provide human resource to your tiny little company where nobody else knows how. And, you know, your, your employees can have employee assistance programs and they can have, you know, the tools that they need to have a proper HR function. You can protect yourself as a hospital. You can protect your employees. And you can kind of remove that um, one-on-one contact that happens within the small clinic. Now, I can tell you viewfinders right now, there's a good portion of you that are going, well, that's why I like being independent. I don't want to have to deal with all these layers of bureaucracy. I don't want an HR department telling me what I can and cannot do. And I'm in agreement with some of that, right? I'm a fiercely independent person. (laughs) I mean, I've always kind of been a bit of a maverick when it comes to business. But at the same time, if you're not taking care of your people respectfully, professionally, then you're going to just fail, right? I mean, this is going to fail on so many levels. This is why, you know, when people say, I don't want all of that stuff, Becky, that complicates what I can do. The reason that it complicates it is because you're probably not doing the right thing. Sorry to step on some toes out there, but Becky, that's just what, that's been my experience, right? I mean, every time somebody says, well, I don't want to have this outside human resource department, that's just going to confuse everybody and make my life more complicated. If it is, Becky, that means there's a problem. Well, Right. Yes, for sure. Right. Because if there's complications, it means there's problems. You know, if it's going to get complicated, it means they need to fix things. But two, if you don't want to deal with that, then, you know, you want to have your cake and eat it, too. And that's not how ownership of businesses work. We have to understand, you know, I would like my husband not to snore. Right. But like, (laughs) (laughs) that's not how it works. So I have this amazing person in my life who I love and I would never give up. And I take the good with the bad. And if you have this clinic and you love being a clinic owner and it is fulfilling to you, you have to take the good with the bad and you don't get to just pull out what works for you and then not want to deal with the things that could be a problem. It's just not how life works. 
And to your point, if it's a problem, then it's a problem. Like right. if it's going to cause a problem, then it means things need to get fixed. And again, you know, and it's becoming my motto for 2021 is like you're running your clinic on the backs of your employees. And so if if that is your issue, you really need to reevaluate why you're in business and what being in business means to you. And you probably need to be more transparent with your employees to let them know that it certainly isn't them. Um Yes. And then they can properly protect themselves. But I can tell you, the more you turn your back to it, the louder it's going to get. And you might get really lucky and have pushovers the majority of your career. But someone somewhere is going to come along and disrupt that pattern for you. Yeah. And, and right now I'm telling you, if you are trying to hire veterinarians or veterinary technicians in 2022, these are the kind of resources that they're looking for, Becky. Yeah. Right. I mean, they are they are saying, what what are you doing to help me with self-care and mental wellness and, and health and insurance and all this stuff? Right. They are looking for that. That's like to check these boxes before we go to the next level uh, or next step with you for that matter. And the other thing, too, Becky, is I just I right now I can't make a cogent case against offering outside counseling. Like right now, everybody listening today, you, your manager, your owner should have come to you already. And if they haven't, then they need to definitely very quickly and say, hey guys, listen, we know these are stressful times. We've been through a heck of a lot with this pandemic and now we've been overwhelmed with clients and appointment requests and, and online complaints and all this stuff. And we want to help you. So we've worked, we've got a counselor on call. You can set up an appointment. Why is that not happening? Like, I think honestly, Becky, right now, that is so easy, so inexpensive and so accessible. I just can't make an argument against it. And yet I'm having a lot of colleagues that are pushing back when I'm suggesting this. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's like that thing where your mom's like, don't go to counseling, they're just going to tell you how bad I messed you up. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, I almost think there's like this fear about if you go and you hear the truth and you get, you, you, you're you empowered, what if you see the dysfunction that is happening here, right? Like, I think there's this, in some cases, this fear of like, if you know better, you'll do better. And I don't want to facilitate people doing better. Because it might mean that they go ahead and leave because this isn't the best thing, right? So, like, right. it's a catch-22 because the, the the companies that need it the most are going to be the most resistant to doing it because of those reasons. Then you've got the choir out there preaching, right? Because they're out there, like, getting their employees all these services. But they're already the unicorn clinic where everyone's pretty happy because they prioritize culture and mental health. And so it's like we kind of got to red rover all these people around and kind of mix them up. But hopefully the right people will hear this, the right people will have the conversations and it will spark something within them to say, like, this is something I could do for my employees. And this is an area where I need to protect myself and them. So, Becky, you just uh, <laughs> trigger warning. <laughs> you, I got triggered there. I just uh -oh. had a long debate with a group of colleagues over this term unicorn clinics. And literally they were they were talking just like you were saying there about a clinic where people are happy and people have each other's back and there's team harmony and they have great benefits and all this stuff. And they're, I'm like, why is that a unicorn? Like, yeah. <laughs> honestly. That's what's that is what is so upside down about this argument, Becky. Literally, the businesses, the veterinary clinics that provide just just a decent workplace are considered unicorn. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is nuts. Sure, it's nuts, but it's still not a basis for an argument know, because it's true, right? Know, like, I and know. so we can push for that change. And they're out there. I mean, 
I'm pointing my fingers to them and talking out loud, but Bond Vet, Veg, uh, there are, and I hate to always be calling out those two. If you are out there just switching it up and doing amazing things, please reach out to me so I can also call you out on this, this podcast. But there are two organizations that I talk to regularly that are changing things for technicians who are utilizing, prioritizing, and paying and caring about them. And they are going to become the norm. We will hit a tipping point. It's going to happen. Uh, we're just not there yet. But we are on the way. And I think that's part of the reason this conversation is so important today is because guess what? Those unicorn clinics are popping up more and more and more. And then it, it will tip to be the norm. And so those of you that are out there not doing this are going to get left behind in the dust. Guarantee you it won't be the first time because that's what our industry loves to do is just complain about things while they happen all around us and then be last in line to make it happen ourselves. Two, you're going to lose employees to to these places where they know they can go because they will become more and more accessible. And three, if you care about nothing else, you're going to get sued. You are going to get yourself in legal trouble because you're not doing the right thing. And last, if you're the person who is in this limbo position within your clinic where people are coming to you and you wish you could take more action, uh, like, I see you, I support you, but you're you're going to have to make a move. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, on top of all of what you know, Becky just stated there, people get hurt. I mean, this is damaging to people, and that's really where my heart breaks the most. And and the examples that Becky used of, of clinics that are, are making big strides in the mental wealth, mental health, mental health of technicians and veterinarians and improving the workplace, yes, they have money, right? They have raised yeah. investor capital. But here's the thing: they're deploying that money to help these issues, right? So, I mean, they could have done anything with that money, but they're saying these are the areas that we feel that we can get a competitive advantage. That's quite frankly, that's what the strategy is to make a better workplace. So I do, I'm with Becky. I foresee herds of unicorns moving forward in 2022 and everybody that's left behind, like I'm just losing patience with it because these are simple moves you can make. And honestly, if you would just go back and rewind what I said about, you know, Hey, this is how to communicate with your your team and say, we've got a counselor. That's like so easy to do today. We have, how many of those people have we had on the podcast in five years? We've had a wide variety of counselors and therapists sure. and sociologists. So they're out there in droves. And all you have to do literally is go online and make an account. Oh, 100%. The ASBCA always has a, a team therapist or psychologist on staff. You can call 24 hours a day when you've dealt with disasters or a situation that you need to talk through with somebody. That having having that type of resource, it's it's not impossible. It's not that expensive. And it, honestly, I think it, it's going to come down to being really priceless. And, you're, you know, we just kind of want to have the conversation of – Please get, as I always say, let's get in front of this and figure out ways to to not be reactive when we have employees like Vanessa who are suffering, like literally suffering. suffering. Yeah. Uh, and regardless of the reality, because what we know is that particular situation, we only got to hear one side of it. That's that's all we got to hear. And um, I want to hear all sides of a story before I really can um, – make an informed decision or even feel informed and knowledgeable. But what I do know is no one should be suffering and feeling alone in that, like, like that and in that situation. And um, whether that was perception or reality or reality is perception, 
if as a manager, that can never be one of your employees. You have to like care and love and know and understand better to make sure that that is never one of your team members. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and there was a, another case that uh, also was making the rounds online, uh, Becky here, you know, around the same time. It didn't involve, you know, self-harm or, or suicide, but it did involve some, some mental health issues. And same thing, you know, this person was complaining. They said it was an independently owned clinic and they were saying, I went to management and I, I said I needed some some time off to actually to be checked into a hospital uh, yeah. for, for some serious help. And <laughs> apparently the manager was like, you've already used your vacation time, <laughs> you know, oh which actually forced this veterinary technician uh, to quit. She had to quit yeah. to check yeah. herself in to a hospital. And so she was sort of, you know, sharing her story, you know, as a warning to other people like, you know, wow, this is this is how you're, you could be treated. And, you know, what I'm hearing, the, the theme that, that, as I mentioned in the very beginning, the theme I'm hearing is sort of this ignorance, this continuing re- refusal, you know, and, and really trying to shirk away from our responsibilities. That, that's what I keep hearing and and that's what I want to change you know and and we can yeah and I think you know there are because we are small entities a lot of times we aren't subject to the same laws right so right, you can't right. you don't have to follow family medical leave acts right. and you don't have to follow some of those laws that that technically protect your employees and I think that's something that as an employee you need to be knowledgeable on um since we, you know, we're on this podcast right now pleading to management to make changes, but I guess for you guys out there that are our employees that are looking for another job or or are just not sure or in a limbo or whatever, like, please be informed on what the laws are. Please ask those questions that Dr. Ernie said when you're in an interview or even if you're in a team meeting, just bring it up. Like, hey, what are you guys going to do to start protecting our mental health? We're getting worn out. Like, have these conversations with your management. Be brave. We support you. You're supported. But, like, we've got to start having these conversations, making changes be- before tragedy really is, then we're in crisis mode. Yeah, and, you know, Becky, it's it. this has happened in a, in a fairly short amount of time. You know, uh, a lot of people said that I was the first person at NAVC to ever give a health and wellness talk back in 2004. I gave a talk called Don't Wait for the Heart Attack, and they gave me one hour at the very end of my day, you know, it's yeah. like, and, and it was packed. And basically, I was just sharing my self-care routine, like dietary habits, exercise, what tests I had, you know, blood tests and biomarkers I was watching, and, and it was big, big... Well attended. And the reason I mentioned that is that was only 2004, right? Yeah. Prior to that, people were like, uh, and I was considered a bit of a woo woo, right? I mean, they were like, you know, Ernie's talking about all this, you know, introspection and, you know, exploring your, you know, your why and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and, I think what's happened over the past, how many years is that now? What is that, uh, 17 years? It's, it's just an acceleration. And so now we've got an entire generation that doesn't view those things as woo-woo, right. right? We have an older generation that's still, the boomers still own most of the stuff. And they're like, why would you do a therapist? Therapist means you're, what, crazy in the head or something? That's going away. Right. Yeah, and and yeah. we're in that last little bit of friction right between these generations, between Gen X and boomers and and millennials and boomers. Right. We're all kind of going, wait, this stuff is meaningful and it's important. I mean, I wouldn't be where I was today if I had not discovered as a 30 year old 
practice owner, you know, hey, you better work on yourself, buddy, or you're not yeah. going to make it out of here, right? I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. and I've, I've watched, um, I've got my 30th veterinary school class reunion coming up, and I've just watched not only suicide within my class, because we've had yeah. several members, you know, they're, they're no longer with us, but I've seen so many that are just so burnt out and toasted. They are just husk of themselves. They don't have any enthusiasm or excitement for the profession. I mean, they literally hate their jobs, and they tell you that, which is yeah. really shocking too. Uh, and sad. It's not shocking. Yeah. It's sad. And so I don't want, I don't want this next generation of millennials and Gen Z's to, to have to go through that. I really don't. Well, and I think they're doing everything they can to set themselves up to not be there. And so I think that's what this wave is about. This what this slow roar yeah. that's picking up is about. That's what these waves of change are. And we know there are a lot of people out there suffering. There are a lot of people out there crying in their car before they walk into work. Yeah, there are yeah. a lot of people out there dreading their days in a profession so full of joy, so full of gifted individuals um, that care so much about animals we forget to care about ourselves. And so I, I think this is just just like a plea. This is a conversation. This is um, in honor of memories of people who have been driven past the edge. And and this is a plea to just really start to take this stuff seriously and change. And, you know, if you are sitting there thinking that therapy is means you're crazy in the head or whatever, like you are the one that's wrong. You are the one that is not changing. You are the problem in this profession. Yeah, like, yeah. like you specifically. I'm talking to you who probably already turned off this podcast. Um, <laughs> they never the listened to begin with. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're the problem. And so if, if you, if you, if you're saying to yourself, I don't have the money, I don't have the resources, I don't have – if you are literally making excuses for your employees suffering, again, you are doing it at this point not on the backs but on the hearts and minds of your employees. Yeah, wow. Well, viewfinders, we want to know what you have to say about this. I mean, this is a tough topic for sure. But, you know, there's hope. Like I, I genuinely feel optimistic for the future because I'm seeing, as, as, as Becky just so eloquently put, this roar – of demands and and this entire herd of unicorns are thundering forward quickly and so people are taking investment money and actually putting it to good use in our profession and if you're an independent practice what are what do you think about some of these things what can we do to actually make sure that we are nurturing and fortifying our employees against these challenges because listen as much as this profession is rewarding it is also challenging and if you do not as becky says continually fill your cup then you will deplete it and that's when you know harm comes yeah and if you're not what's your exit strategy we're interested to hear right. how are you getting right. yourself out of the industry because we don't want to <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and i don't have any fault with that right you know i'm no. seeing more and more of those stories amongst colleagues veterinarians and veterinary technicians becky who've just said you know what i don't think this is working for me anymore i've given it all i can give and i'm going to try something else you know and yeah. and i i gotta say more power to you yeah, right. I'll see you at Starbucks where you're getting paid better. And <laughs> at least if you get something on you, you smell like coffee and whipped cream. So we want to hear, though, truly, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your practices doing? Give us a pushback. I want to hear your pushback so I understand better why you aren't doing this. Uh, you can reach out to us. You guys know where to find us on Facebook, on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. And I've uh, started to tweet a tiny bit. I was I was tweet, <gasps> tweeting about the other day. So um, I think I think it's Becky 
Nikki underscore RVT. Come tell me hi on Twitter. Uh, welcome, welcome me to the t- tweeting world. Oh my goodness, who knows? The world will never be the same. You know, Jack Dorsey steps down as CEO and Becky takes over Twitter. <laughs> <You're>, da, da, <laughs> and I'll have here. great HR. Just saying. <laughs> Guys, once again, thank you so much for five years of loyal listenership. And more importantly, thank you for carrying these conversations forward and making positive change in the profession. Until next week, guys, stay safe. Bye. Bye.